Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. And so this is part seven of our series of our Bible study into the book of Daniel. And we said from Daniel 1, we understand that Daniel and his friends from the royal family, King David's descendants, and the nobility of Judah. This passage from Daniel 1 also shares that they were young when they were taken from Jerusalem. How young? Approximately 15 years old. And as we get into the later chapters that we're covering uh, tonight and we covered last week and we'll cover in the weeks to come, that Daniel and his visions that we see in the last half of the chapter, that Daniel is now elder of over 80 years old. So let's go to Daniel chapter 10, looking at verse 1. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the vision and had understanding of the vision. Let me say that again. He, had, he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three or four weeks. I ate no pleasant food, nor meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So what we see in Daniel chapter 10 takes place about two years after the vision and the events of Daniel chapter 9. Now, the reason why Daniel is fasting and mourning or lamenting is not clear from the scriptures. We see he has some type of vision, had some type of experience, and he was in mourning and lamenting and fasting. We'll see in a few minutes he was praying for these three full weeks. And we can only guess why we don't know fully because the scripture doesn't tell us fully what he saw or why he was lamenting or mourning. We do know that according to Ezra chapter 1 verse 1, some of the Jews have already begun to return to Jerusalem. So over the last couple of years, some of the Jews began to make their return to Jerusalem. Not all of them, thousands did, but not all of them, some stayed in the places where they were. So the early events of the book of Ezra are happening at the same time as Daniel chapter 10. From information obtained later in chapter 10, we know that Daniel is spending these three weeks in prayer. The fast Daniel is implementing is not a full fast. It's not saying he's not eating or anything. He ate only basic food and not his favorite food. So he didn't eat any of the fancy foods that were, of course, his to have because of the position he's had in the empire for now decades or because of his wealth or influence. He's just eating very basic foods, not his favorite foods, not, um, it says he's not anointing himself with oils and all these other things that were you know, the things that people in the East, especially people of wealth and influence would do. He set all that aside and spent three weeks lamenting, fasting these things and praying. Now I'm going to read the next few verses to you from the New Living Translation. Daniel chapter 10, verse 4 says, On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice were like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. We'll pick up with the, NK, uh, the New King James with verse 11. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, 
understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. Now, one of the things we see in this passage from verse 4 through 12 is that this heavenly being shows up to speak with Daniel. Now, notice the scripture doesn't say who it was. We know Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel showed up, and we see Gabriel mentioned in this book before, but it doesn't say this is Gabriel here. And the description of this heavenly being is so profound. It sounds, it is, looks similar to some of the um, resurrected appearances of Christ we see in the book of Revelation, but the Bible does not clearly say who this heavenly being is. So some scholars think, well, this could be a pre-incarnate form of Jesus appearing to Daniel. Some people think it's just going to be a hierarchy in the realm of angels. That's possible too. So the scripture doesn't say clearly who it is, but we know it's a heavenly being. And so we can call it correctly heavenly being or angelic being because angelic can also mean those carrying messages. So this heavenly being shows up and looks so glorious that Daniel is overwhelmed. Daniel is trembling. Daniel is afraid. He falls because of the strength of the glory radiating from this being. And the being tells him, okay, he lifts him back up and tells him to stand up. But what do we see from verses 11 and 12? He says, oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved. And we talked about that phrase last week in chapter nine. He said, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I've been sent to you. He says, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. So remember, Daniel has been mourning, lamenting, fasting, praying for three weeks now. And on the first day, at the first moment, he set his heart to understand. Understand what? It doesn't tell us clearly what he was understanding, but there's something he needed understanding of, and he's about to receive that understanding now. So when he began to set his heart to understand, to pray, this heavenly being was dispatched. And I said, well, what was the delay? If it was three weeks ago, why is he just showing up now? Verse 13. Now, before we go to verse 13, I want you to notice something we learned from Daniel. There was something he didn't understand, something he encountered, something he experienced he didn't understand. So what did he do? He turned to prayer. Now, he didn't just pray once and leave it alone. This was consistent, continued, fervent prayer. Or as we saw last week, he set his face, just like he did in Daniel. He set his face to understand. And sometimes we don't receive the understanding or the insight of revelation we need because we let go too soon. We do not set our face and focus and pray long enough. You might say, well, I can't pray all day. I didn't say you had to pray all day. But you can pray over a period of weeks, period of months for certain things. You take whatever time you have over it. It might be five minutes today, 30 minutes tomorrow. It's a prayer project. But you keep praying about it until you get what you need to understand. Notice what it says in verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, the reason why this heavenly being was delayed was because the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, we know this is not a human prince. By context, we know in setting this chapter and the next one, this is a demonic prince. This is a spirit prince. This is a, a, pers a personality, a spiritual personality that is ruling over Persia. And he's known as the prince of the kingdom of Persia. When he, 
this heavenly being was dispatched to bring Daniel his answer, this high up prince in the realm of Persia, this demonic prince stood up and was resisting this heavenly being. And they fought each other for three full weeks. And notice what this heavenly being says, behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, he came to help me. And so he brought assistance to me. And for I have been left alone with the kings of Persia. So the heavenly being said, I am the only one who was fighting the demonic princes over Persia. It was just me left alone with the kings of Persia until Michael came to assist me. Now, one of the things this reveals to us in the Old Testament, and we know it's still in the New Testament, is the double kingdom system. The double kingdom system. There is a whole world that you do not see. There's a world that you do not see that affects the world that you do see. We see it mentioned in the New Testament. I'll read you a couple passages from the New Testament. Notice how Paul closes the prayer of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. When Paul is using the phrase principality and power, he's not talking about human rulers rulers normally. He's talking about spiritual rulers or spiritual princes. So he says principalities, power, might, and dominion. We've broken down those words in the past and we'll go into tonight, but these are all different spiritual ranks. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but the world to come, that word name means authority. So whether there's authority seen or unseen, authority human or angelic or demonic, otherwise. So we see just from here that there's authorities and rulers in a realm we cannot see. Verse three, uh, Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, Paul also says to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now he's not talking about heaven where God resides. Now one of the things we see from the New Testament, there are three heavens referred to. There is the heaven, the atmospheric place over this earth. Then there's the second heavens, what we'd see called outer space. And there's the third heaven where God resides. So when some of the heavenly places is talking about in the sky above us, the region above us, the region where we can see it naturally, but we can't see it all the time spiritually. And it talks about the principality and powers in the heavenly places. So these would be angelic and demonic powers of the unseen realm. Go to chapter six, verse 12, a passage familiar to most of us. Notice what Paul says here, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts or spiritual wickedness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he gives rank and file of Satan's demonic kingdom here, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so we see rank and file of different types of demons in their hierarchy. I've heard it said before that even talking about the kingdom of darkness, because some people get, you know, really spooky with this and, you know, they get caught up with this. There's not something to be caught up with. It's something that you'd be informed about, but you don't get caught up with it. But so, you know, someone said before that he, the kingdom of darkness is not more powerful than the church. The kingdom of darkness is just a lot more disciplined. And one of the things you see here with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, especially when we talk about the phrases, the rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness, it talks about how in the original language is painting the picture of how highly, highly organized they are for their intent of bringing destruction to mankind. And so one of the things you need to know, there is an unseen world. 
And once again, I encourage you, don't be spooky with this information. Go say it out loud and put it in the chat. If you're watching the place, you can put it in the chat. Say, don't be spooky. Come on, say it out loud and put it in the chat. Say, don't be spooky. Don't be spooky. I heard another man of God say it this way. He says, the devil's not behind every rock. More like every other rock. And so everything that happens in life is not because the enemy did something. Sometimes it does happen because the enemy did something. And so one of the things we have to realize is that there is an enemy. He has a kingdom. He has a structure or a hierarchy and warriors assigned to stop you from doing what God's called you to do. Even Paul talked about the angelic messenger who was sent by Satan to buffet him. Tells us that in Second uh, Corinthians, which means they hit him again and again and again. And the tactics of that demon sent to buffet Paul and withstand Paul were the tactics of affliction, persecution, and anxiety. So the enemy does have a highly organized system and there are, peop- and there are demonic powers who are assigned to stop people. And so we see this demonic power stood up to resist a heavenly being that was sent to Daniel. But let's get a little bit more of a picture of this system. Go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Let's get another, get some more views of this system. Give you more like peel the curtain back so you have a biblical understanding, not a, you know, super spooky understanding, but a biblical understanding of what the unseen realm is like when it concerns these issues. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, one of the things I want to know about the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel. Ezekiel probably was a little bit older than Daniel, but when the deportation from Judah and Jerusalem happened, Daniel and his friends went to Babylon. Ezekiel was taken to another place. He went to another place and probably wasn't the first group that left like Daniel was, but might have been on the second one. And so Ezekiel chapter 28, we'll read it to you from the New Living Translation. And once again, remind you that Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel. It says, then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give the prince of Tyre this message from the sovereign Lord. Now, Tyre was a major city. Eventually, it was taken by Alexander the Great. And when Tyre fell to Alexander the Great, it sent shockwaves to the Middle East because this was a heavily fortified city, a powerful city. So give the prince of Tyre this message from the sovereign Lord. He says, in your great pride, you claim I am a God. I sit on a divine throne in the heart of the sea, but you are only a man and not a God, though you boast that you are a God. You regard yourself as wiser than Daniel and think no secret is hidden from you. Notice this, that this king in another place, this king of this, who's called here the prince of Tyre, This ruler of Tyre thought he was smarter than Daniel. He's caught up in pride. He says, I'm a God. And one of the things he's saying about himself is, and thinking about himself, I'm smarter than Daniel. This is one of, this lets you know how far Daniel's fame and influence spread, that in this faraway place that people know of Daniel's wisdom. It says, with your wisdom and understanding, you have amassed great wealth gold and silver for your treasuries. Yes, your wisdom has made you very rich and your riches have made you very proud. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because you think you are wise as a God, I will now bring against you a foreign army, the terror of the nations. They will draw their swords against your marvelous wisdom and defile your splendor. They will bring you down to the pit and you will die in the heart of the sea, pierced with many wounds. Will you then boast I am a God to those who kill you? To them, you'll be no God, but merely a man. You will die like an outcast at the hands of foreigners. I, the sovereign Lord have spoken. Then this message further, this further message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Notice he's talking to the prince of Tyre, who is actually the ruler of Tyre. But now he says, say this to the king of Tyre. I want you to listen to what God is saying about the king of Tyre. 
Give him this message from the Sovereign Lord. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, think about this. There's only two humans who are in Eden, the garden of God, Adam and Eve. There's no way a human king of Tyre was in that garden. Let's keep reading. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red, cornelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue, green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. Notice, it says the day you were created and say the day you were born. Verse 14, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. Another translation says the cherub that covers. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. So now we see clearly he's not talking about a human. He's talking to a spiritual principality, a spiritual personality. And we know by studying, keep going. He's talking to Satan. So notice at this time, that Ezekiel's prophesying that Satan had set up his operations and he was working through the prince of Tyre and directly ruling over the city of Tyre. Now, the thing is, a lot of people, because, you know, mythology and pictures and storybooks think Satan is in hell. The Bible doesn't say Satan is in hell. The Bible clearly shows that he's usually not in hell. He's not. And in Ezekiel, we see that he is ruling over the city of Tyre through the prince of Tyre. How many of you can see that? And if you can see it, say it, put it in the chat, say, I can see it. Before I move on, go ahead and put it in the chat, say, I can see it. We see here that Satan is ruling through the prince of Tyre. He has set up his operations to be in charge and rule in the atmosphere over Tyre. Well, do we see something like that in the New Testament? Sure we do. Go with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, we'll get back to Daniel in a moment. I will show you this background so you can understand what's going on. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. We'll show you a little bit more background. Anybody appreciating this background? You know, one of the things I told you last week, don't miss this week because we are setting this background for you to understand. I think it's perfect for you to understand now and as we go into the new year and the importance of what we're going to learn from Daniel tonight. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. Notice what Jesus says to John, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Now, we know the word angel here is actually talking to the pastor. So, write this letter to the pastor of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. Yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. Whoa. Pause. Look at this. Notice what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said to John. He says, you live in the city where Satan has his throne. And not only that, he called it Satan's city. Or another translation is the city where Satan dwells. So once again, we see Satan wasn't in hell. He was in a physical human city. And he set up his throne over Pergamum. And there's so much I can get into tonight. And I'm not going to get into it tonight. Or how that looks and all the different things and implications that means to the spirit world. But that's where Satan set up his throne. So one of the things we see here, that in the Old Testament, at that point of Ezekiel's life, the same time of Daniel, his throne or his rule of operations he set up was entire. 
Now we see hundreds of years later, he had moved to Pergamum, which lets you know that Satan's throne moves. His operation in the heavenlies in that place moves. And at different places around the world, there are different places where demonic princes set up their ruling, set up their authority, set up their workings. How many of you can see that? Go ahead and put it in the chat if you can see that. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter 10 and verse 14. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 14. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So the vision Daniel received was about something of the future. Specifically, we'll get into it next week, chapter 11 and 12, about the future of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. So Daniel had this vision. We're not told what it was. We're not told what he didn't understand about it. But there was something about the future of the people of Israel, something about the Jewish people. People that he didn't understand and so we turn to mourning and lamenting and praying and fasting and this demon prince over the area of Persia did not want Daniel to know the answer to the solution so this demon prince rose up to resist a heavenly being being dispatched when he had spoken such words to me I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless and suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me. So now another angel flies in and touched his mouth and spoke. And he said, I said to him, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I've retained no strength. For how can the servant, my Lord, talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is there any breath left in me. He says, I can't talk with you. I have no strength. I have no energy. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you, be strong, yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, when this heavenly being spoke to him, he was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the demonic prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince now, so we know the demonic prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Chapter 11, verse 1. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And so what we see Michael here, we see Michael is an important angel, a chief angel on the side of heaven, who is a chief angel over the nation of Israel. And we see the demonic princes of Persia and Greece mentioned here who were at war with the heavenly beings. I have to go back and fight the prince of Persia, but also the prince of Greece is coming. So maybe saw the prince of demonic prince of Greece on its way as he was making his way to Daniel. But he knows he has further things to battle, that the battle wasn't over yet. There's more things to fight in the spirit realm. And he was about to rejoin Michael in the fight. So one of the things we see here in Daniel chapter 11, verse 1, that he says from the first year of Darius the Mede, which is about approximately about three years before this point, that he said he stood up to confirm and strengthen Michael and to help in this situation in the spirit realm with whatever was going on during that time. So one of the things I want to let you know, the spirit world is very real. And that if you're a person that you've been praying for something for a long time and it's been a while now, you've been praying and praying and standing like, well, why hasn't happened yet? I want to let you know that there is resistance in the spirit world. There are attacks. I remember 
a number of years ago. I had this horrible year, so one of the, it was like the worst year of my life. I went through a lot of things. And at the end of the year, I saw this word, and it was from maybe about several months before. And it was a word that I saw, it was online from a respected man of God. And the Lord spoke through him concerning different things. And I read it and it just hit my heart. I knew it was God speaking to me. And originally the man of God was speaking to me. He was speaking to a congregation that I, had, I wasn't in. And I read it and it said that, you know, it was talking about people who were kind of discouraged about what happened that year or, you know, all the things. And, he, and the Lord was encouraging through this prophetic word. It says, you don't know all the things that were arrayed against you in the kingdom of darkness. You don't know all the things you overcome, you overcame to get to this point. And so sometimes when this stuff is happening again and again and again and again and again, a lot of times there are attacks of the enemy to stop you from doing what God has called you to do. And you have to understand that you don't just have the natural things to deal with. There is a whole spiritual side that's been arrayed against you. But be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world and he's given you the victory. When we're fighting principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual weakness in heavenly places, all the rank and file of Satan's kingdom. We're not fighting to get the victory. We're fighting from the place of victory because unlike in Daniel's time, we live after the cross and the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Ghost. We've been given the victory, so we're enforcing the victory. Wherever Satan has authority and power and a demonic structure in this world and in the atmosphere above different cities, it's where the church has yielded ground and ceded territory. And so one of the things we see here is that if we really want to make a difference in our lives, what do we do? What is the example we see from Daniel tonight? Persistence in prayer impacts earthly empires and the entire angelic and demonic hierarchy of the unseen realm. That's our takeaway for tonight. Persistence in prayer impacts earthly empires and the entire angelic and demonic hierarchy of the unseen realm. I'll say it one more time. Persistence in prayer impacts earthly empires and the entire angelic and demonic hierarchy of the unseen realm. That's why it's so important that we do what 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 tells us to do. And I'm going to read it to you for the sake of time. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercession, giving thanks be made for on behalf or of over all men, for kings and for all those who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. What is that truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And stopping there, one of the things we see is that we are to pray for those in authority, pray for those who have influence. I don't care what political party you're part of and what your political views are. That's all great and good. You're entitled to have your own opinion and your own political view. But no matter what your political opinion or view is, it is your job as a believer, as a Christian, to pray for those who are in authority, to pray for mayors and governors, to pray for city council men and women, to pray for senators and those in Congress, to pray for the president and the vice president and the entire cabinet, to pray for those who have governmental authority, those who have authority 
or that word authority also means influence. And any area of influence or of authority is our job as the church to pray because areas we don't pray about are areas that are encroached and taken over by the enemy. People talk about, well, this area is so full of darkness. Well, this area is so full of darkness. Well, this organization, this entertainment industry, this media, this city, so full of darkness. And they talk and they're impressed by the darkness. But when's the last time people actually prayed for that? And how long have they prayed for that city, for those people, for those in authority? Persistence in prayer impacts earthly empires and the entire angelic and demonic hierarchy of the unseen realm. And one of the things we realize, persistence in prayer releases reinforcements. Persistence in prayer releases reinforcements. Notice it took about three weeks of Daniel persistent in prayer for Michael to be released to go. So who knows what Michael had to get free from doing to go assist this heavenly being. So when you're praying about things, especially praying in the spirit and staying focused in prayer for a long period of time, I'm not talking about you pray for an hour. I'm talking about weeks, months, even years about a certain topic. Just know there's more being done in the unseen realm. And so remember what Jesus told us in Luke 18. Let's go there. Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart or not to faint, it says in the King James. So the whole purpose of this parable, this familiar parable in Luke 18, was so that people keep on praying and don't give up. Saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, she wears me, get, wears me, gets on my nerves and wears me out. Verse six, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The New Living Translation says, So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant them justice. He will grant justice to them quickly. The Amplified Classic Edition says, And will not our just God defend and protect and avenge his elect, his chosen ones, who cry to him day and night? Will he defer them and delay help on their behalf? I tell you, he will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find persistence and faith on the earth? One of the things we see that we saw how the unjust judge just eventually gave in because he didn't want this woman to get on his nerve. But we know our God is an unjust judge. He is a just God. But what is the example that you keep praying and you don't give up? Now, let's go with me to James chapter 5, verse 16, and we'll close here. James chapter 5, verse 16. The latter part of the verse is the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The Amplified Classic Edition says this way, The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available dynamic in its working. So once again, our takeaway from tonight, persistence in prayer impacts earthly empires and the entire angelic and demonic hierarchy of the unseen realm. When we understand this essential truth, we should ask ourselves, do we pray enough? Ask yourself that tonight. Do you pray enough? When you know what we know, what we covered just in brief tonight, do you actually pray enough? Do you actually often give yourself to prayer enough? Or how about this question? What still exists in our areas of influence today because of lack of consistency in prayer? 
what is still going on in our lives because we've been prayerless or we gave up too soon in prayer. What would change if we are persisted in prayer? You know, one of the things you'll see, you know, we'll even do and I'll announce it in a couple of weeks, even next year. We have to pray more as individuals. Well, we have to pray more as a faith family together. One of the first challenges we're doing of the year is connected with prayer and increasing our times in prayer as a lifestyle. Because as we give ourselves to prayer, things change in the spirit and in the natural. But we must be those who persist in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message, this reminder, this insight. Further grant, grant us further insight in these things and help us be persistent in prayer, to take our place in prayer, for we all have different places assigned to, especially those who give ourselves to prayer and yield in prayer. There are places assigned to us in the spirit that we are to occupy. Help us not be distracted. Help us not to faint. Help us not to lose heart. Help us not to be discouraged and give up and Give up that place of prayer. From that place of prayer, things change. From that place of prayer, demonic princes fall. From that place of prayer, change is made in earthly empires and organizations and companies. And the gospel goes forth. So help us take that place of prayer consistently so we can partner with you in prayer and pray out your will unto the earth. We thank you for this message. Help us to be hearers of this word and not doers of this word. So we bless in our doing. In Jesus' name, amen. And so be it. Amen. I believe today's message encourages you, it strengthens you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the Metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at FCCGA.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called the Faith Podcast, and then we have our daily devotional podcast, which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on our many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.